Well, we have before us up here some lovely flowers, beautiful flowers, a reminder to us of a life that was well lived. Uh, yesterday, we uh, celebrated that life here in this room, and just to reiterate a prayer request that Ronnie had for us to pray, let's continue to pray for the Gressleys and for all those who have lost loved ones recently. So this morning, I want to talk about words. Words have power. Words have the power to shape societies. So when someone wants to make a big change in our society, the first thing they do is they go to the language. They reshape the language. They give something a different title. Because if you do this, you have the chance to change people's thinking and People know this. It is the power of language. It can actually transform our thought about a particular subject. Which is why the church has always tried to, to take words and language seriously. So throughout church history, there have been great debates over words. And sometimes over a single word. Because words matter. And especially in what we call confessional language, those statements of faith that are memorable, that really tell the story of what we believe, we want to make sure that we speak, that we preach, that we teach, and even that we sing true words. So consider the words that we just sang together. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is living in his church. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He is coming back to claim his own. These are words of confession, and it's one of the reasons why I like to sing that song in the assembly, is because we as a group of people are speaking the true words of the gospel, words that were on the lips of the earliest Christians before they had Bibles. Before Paul wrote his letters, these were the phrases that were starting to take root in the hearts of the people of God. These were the phrases that were part of the earliest proclamation of preaching in the book of Acts. And these are phrases, or at least similar phrases, that come to the forefront in our sermon text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. If you want to turn there, we'll be reading there in a moment those words. We're continuing this series called Fight the Good Fight, the last words of Paul, and there are many ways that he's trying to help young Timothy fight the good fight, and Timothy is in a fight. One of the things that he does is he talks about the spirit that is within Timothy. He talks about the faith that is in Timothy that's been handed down. He talks about that realm, that sphere of the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, and today... Paul's going to help Timothy fight the good fight by talking about words, the power of words. So hear the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. May God bless the reading of his word. So here's a question to think about this morning. What would we do if the words of faith were taken from us? What would we do if the hymnals, the songbooks, and our Bibles were suddenly taken away from us and we didn't have access to them? Well, this is a question that our brothers and sisters in China are having to wrestle with in a very real way. Yes, the church in China is going through some difficult times, at least from an earthly perspective. I shared a few months ago how the the Chinese government is forcing churches to register with a government agency. And the places where churches are meeting are, are being stripped of their Christian symbols and they're being replaced with communist propaganda and even pictures of government officials. It's straight out of the book of Revelation. There have been many of our brothers and sisters who have been put in prison and even what we call re-education camps for the sake of Christ. I recently ran across two stories from different organizations who are watching over the situation over there with respect to the churches in China, the suffering church. And both these articles speak to the power of words. And if anyone knows the power of words, it is the Chinese government. The first article says this, China forces churches to sing communist anthems and bans Christian hymns. And then the article goes on to detail how the hymnals are being taken away from churches and replaced in some churches with government-sponsored hymnals. And here are the lyrics to one of those hymns. China is beautiful. China is great. The sons and daughters of China love China. Bless China, O Lord. The songs of the church are under attack. The other article talks about what's actually going on in the prisons there with our Chinese brothers and sisters. And of course, Bibles are banned. No scripture is allowed. No scripture and no songs. In a sense, the government has sought to chain the message of the gospel. Not just chain the Christians, but to chain the gospel itself. The church is not doing so well in China. At least that's what some people say. Well, this is not the first time the words of the church have been under attack, and Paul would understand what it's like to be in prison for the sake of Christ. Paul, too, finds himself in a very oppressive regime under the thumb of an oppressive regime. In the Roman Empire, it is the Caesar, and it is government officials who hold all the cards. It's the Roman Empire who's ushered in what is called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Through military might, 
through a state-of-the-art road system, through a very complex system of laws. The Romans have ushered in peace throughout the world. And they are challenging the church. It's a peace that comes to those as long as you live under Roman authority, which is why what Paul is preaching is so dangerous and threatening to the Roman Empire. That confession that we just sang, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. I don't know about you, but I take that for granted. I could say that out loud. I could put it out on Facebook, and I might have some snickers from some of my old high school friends or or maybe someone will will hide my post. But direct persecution for saying Jesus is Lord, I don't walk around in fear of that, at least right now at this point in our history. But there are certain parts of the world, and certainly in Paul's time, especially in Paul's day, that confession carried enormous weight and enormous consequences. Because implicit in that confession, Jesus is Lord, Paul's also saying that the Caesar is not Lord. The Caesar is not the one who is really in charge. And so what do the Romans do to someone who's making such a bold claim? Well, they do what Romans always do. They attempt to snuff out any subversion to the lordship of the Caesar, and they put Paul in chains. They bind Paul in chains. And this is designed to put a halt to and take control of Paul's words. Because they know that words have power. Well, the only way Paul can proclaim the gospel now is through people like Timothy. Timothy, who's facing his own threats to the gospel, he's in Ephesus where the words of the gospel are being twisted. It's a different kind of prison for the gospel The words of a distorted gospel are being used in ways by these teachers to gain power over the people. These teachers have taken the hymn books and they've rewritten the words, so to speak. And in a way, Timothy also is being bound, but he's being bound by fear and intimidation and a crisis of fortitude. And if Timothy does not find his courage, if he doesn't take a hold of the message that is spreading there in Ephesus, if he doesn't grab a hold of those words, then the church is going to be in trouble. The church is going to sink into chaos, and there's going to be a point where the church is not going to look any different than the surrounding culture. It's a terrible thing for the gospel message to be locked up and kept away from the people who need it most. But we live here in Austin, Texas in 2019. We live far away from the Roman Empire, far away from first century Ephesus. We live far away from China right now, even though we have several members who travel there on a frequent basis, but the church situation there, we are far away from it And perhaps there are attempts by some segments in this nation to suppress the confessions that we make, to chain the gospel. But I see our struggle at this point in our history, I see it on a different front. I see the attack on the gospel coming not so much from without. Maybe there's a time when that's going to happen. But I see it coming from within. There was 
a book that came out a few years ago called Soul Searching. And it was an extensive study on the youth culture, the religious youth culture in America. And there was a belief system that was coined. It's a mouthful, but I think when you break it apart, it makes a lot of sense. And, and the phrase that these authors came up with is moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's a belief system held not just by the youth, I think it's been held by generations. This has been generations in the making, and I wrote those on the back of your order of worship. But here are the five tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. It's not too bad. Number two, God wants people to be good Nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And we hear the therapeutic part creeping in. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem, and that's a deistic view. Deism is a view that God created the world, and then he stepped away, kind of like a top. He pulled the string, and the top just goes and goes, and God does not intervene. And I think that is, at least on a subconscious level, a belief widely held today. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Good people go to heaven when they die. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Well, this belief system is really a mixed bag of the American dream and a therapy society and the gospel. And it's all rolled up into one. And there have been generations uh, of this kind of belief slowly unfolding and taking root in the people. And I think this has happened a lot of times through the language, through the change in language. So when the church steers away from certain language, the beliefs change. When the church steers away from redemption, sin, repentance, confession, and a whole slew of other words that have deep meaning, the thinking changes. When the church steers away from the exclusive claims of and about the Lord Jesus Christ, the beliefs can change, and if we're not careful, we can put chains around the gospel from our own doing. It's very easy to do. Paul understands this. He understands this too well. He knows that there are people who would seek, forces who would seek to chain the gospel, but when it comes from the church, when the church chains the gospel from within, that's even worse which is what young Timothy is being tempted to do. Instead of unleashing the power of the gospel and proclaiming it, he is settling in silence and in fear and letting this false teaching spread like gangrene, as we will read next week in our sermon text. So this is why Paul tells young Timothy this strange saying there at the beginning of this passage. It's strange-sounding. Remember Jesus, he says. You would think that would go without saying. Timothy, 
remember Jesus with all of this unhealthy teaching going around. Remember Jesus. It is the center of the center of the teaching of the church. Words about Jesus. Words that Paul captures in a remarkable way in our sermon text today. I've fallen in love with 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 13 as I breathed it in this week. These words of confession. These words that have the fingerprints of the Spirit all over them. I mean, look at what Paul unpacks in just a few short verses. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. The ascension and the the reign of Jesus. The connection of Jesus to the promises given to David. We spent a lot of time last summer talking about the story of David. Do you remember that promise that God gave David? That someone in your royal line is going to be on the throne forever. It's why the people, whenever they recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. But then Paul does something with these words that adds another layer to the Jesus story and really shows the power that words have in shaping who we are and shaping our identity. We find our identity in that story. The Jesus story is a paradigm for our own stories. As it turns out, the story of Jesus' suffering and his faithfulness and his triumph is the story of all believers. It is the story of the church. And when Paul says, remember Jesus, he's saying, remember that story and remember your story within that story. It's the story that Paul has embraced. It is the story that he's telling Timothy to grab a hold of. Remember Jesus, he says. Hear these confession statements once more. And I even hear some baptismal language here. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself the words of confession. And Paul tells Timothy, whatever happens in Ephesus, whatever happens, grab a hold of those words. Remember Jesus. Yes, there are forces in this world that would seek to stifle and chain the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some forces from without, some from within. Some that are sinister. Some that are well-intentioned. But if the church is going to thrive in China if it is going to thrive here in Austin, Texas in 2019, we have to remember Jesus. We have to make sure that the center of the center of our stories, preaching, singing, confession, runs right through the heart of the gospel. The story, the announcement of the lordship and the kingship of Jesus crucified and risen. That's the heartbeat. This is the story that's been passed down through the generations. This is the story that Paul says is boundless. I have been bound in chains like a criminal, he tells Timothy, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is boundless. 
And we know this to be true. The gospel has survived and flourished in places that it's not supposed to survive and flourish. Recently, a pastor from a church in Honolulu had some connections to the church in China, and he went there for a visit. And he met some Christians in a home, and there were 22 of them. And 18 of these 22 Christians had been put in prison within the last year for the sake of Christ. And this pastor is preaching a sermon to them. I would be quite nervous about doing that. But he's preaching to them from 2 Timothy. So he says, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. And they didn't have enough Bibles to go around. But there was a young woman there who handed her Bible to the person next to her. And then she started to quote 2 Peter. And she quoted the entire thing, the whole book. And when she finished, she told this pastor, we had a lot of time in prison. And Bibles weren't allowed. But our friends would smuggle in Scripture on pieces of paper, and we would memorize them as quick as we could. To quote her, she said, that's why we would memorize it as fast as we could, because even though they could take the paper away, they cannot take what's hidden in your heart. They can take the paper away, but they can't take what's hidden in your heart. And so my question for us this morning is, what is hidden in our hearts here at Brentwood Oaks? I pray that what's hidden in our hearts are words of truth, words of confession. I want to challenge this church to take a page from the suffering church in China, to take a page from this woman who memorized 2 Peter. I would challenge us to remember the Jesus story through memorizing Scripture, and it is a lost art to memorize Scripture, and I'm really speaking to myself. I don't have near as much Scripture memorized as my granddad did, what would that look like? What would that look like if we gathered together in our families every morning before the hurricane of activity started and we recited these confessional words of Second Timothy? Well, maybe we already have a practice of memorizing Scripture with our families or if we're by ourselves, we have a place in our house where we go and memorize Scripture. But if you don't, let me suggest taking a small bite first. Second Timothy Chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, this, this little segment of Scripture that's set apart, it looks like a hymn, it looks like a, a poem almost that Paul is, is professing here. What would that look like if we gathered together every morning around breakfast and said those words of confession? I wonder what kind of identity would be shaped in us if we said this over time. Or any story, any passage about Scripture that we said over and over again where it begins to take root, because words have power. They have the power to shape who we are. And so we're going to end this sermon by saying these words together, words that I hope will live in your hearts. And next week, we're going to open the sermon with these words on the screen, and I, I hope a lot of us, and especially you young ones, I hope you can say these without even looking at the screen. So if you would, let's stand before we offer a word of invitation. And let's say these words together. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, 
we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny, deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let us remember they can take the paper away, but they cannot take what's hidden in our hearts. Maybe this morning we come here to this assembly, and we have been faithless along the path, and we need the strength of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the prayers of this church. The Christian life was not meant to walk by ourselves. We are a family. We are a community of believers. If you'd like to respond to the invitation in any way, we invite you to come as we sing this song.